Man, I don't know about you guys, but I'm excited for today. As you notice, we've got food out there because today is our All Nations dinner. So I hope you guys are hungry, brought your appetites, because after service, we're just going to have a feast and fellowship with each other. Amen. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. I am Pastor Tony. I'm one of the campus pastors here at Metro Praise. Uh, why don't we all stand before we get started? And uh, I'm gonna, we're going to start the service off with a testimony. I'd like to have my brother Christian. Yes, yes, please give it up for Christian as he makes his way up, man. He's going to share a quick testimony of what God has been doing in his life lately. So go ahead, and Christian, kick it off. Well, lately I've had um, a few missteps in my life, you know. Those unexpected things you don't see, like all of a sudden you're turning around the corner, this thing just hits you out of nowhere. Like, for example, yesterday, I was just driving home all of a sudden. I was thinking I was going to go home safe, no trouble, right? All of a sudden, my brake stops working. I'm on the highway. I'm like, oh, Lord, what am I going to do now? So I was like, oh, dear God, this dude's going to hit me, and I can't stop. And I then heard the Lord just tell me, pray. That's all you need to do, and I will protect you. Just ask it of me, and I will be with you. Like in Psalm 7, how David uh, says it, Lord, be my protector, and I will be safe. Protect me from my enemies, and I will be safe. And that's how he protected me. I reached my home. The brakes suddenly started working again, and then afterwards started, stopped working. That's all a miracle. Like, all of a sudden, no explanation of why the brakes started working out of nowhere. They started working. And I reached my home safely. When I asked him, he brought me safety. He brought me prosperity. Amen. I got that. Now, I would like to pray for the service. Lord, thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you for protecting every single one of us, Lord. Thank you for giving us everything we need every single day, Lord. You know everything's going to happen today, tomorrow, every single second of the day, every single second of the year. And you've guided us and protecting us every single second that has passed by and will continue to pass. Lord, I thank you for this. Lord, please teach us today, Lord. I ask this of you in your name. Amen.
this one, words can never say, ready? Words can never say how much he says my name, he calls me lovely. No one ever sees the way he looks at me, he sees me holy. Words can never hold this love that burns my soul. trust and know, God, that you are in control. Come on, sing this with us. I will walk. I will walk through the fire. Walk through the darkest nights. I will walk through the flood. I won't be overcome. I won't be overcome. 
will walk in the promise. Say, I will walk in the promise. Come on, walk in your victory. Walk in your victory. Lord, I'm going to walk in your power.
you believe Jesus is on the throne, I want you to start shouting praises to your king. Come on, he is the great I am. He is awesome. He is beautiful. There is no one else like him. We serve a mighty God. He is the one true living God. Hallelujah, Jesus. We worship you today. We give you glory. We give you praise. You are on the throne, and you are the faithful one. You are the one that is able, oh God. Through every storm of life, through every situation that we face, oh God, you are with us. I feel like a lot of you guys this morning need to understand that the Lord is on your side, that God is able to turn a mess into a message, that God is able to meet you in the midst of your pain, to meet you in the midst of your chaos, because where he is, there is love. Where he is, there is healing. Where he is, there is peace. And so many of you are feeling that internally, and we're all experiencing that externally in our world today. And I want to pray for Paris today. We're going to pray for the nations today. But I want each and every one of you here to understand that internally, in the midst of your loneliness, in the midst of your own personal darkness and frustration and unanswered questions, Jesus is there to meet you. Jesus is there to be the answer. Jesus is there to bring you healing. So if you need that today, I want you to lift up your hands and I want you to believe that God is able. He is able to heal. He is able to save marriages. He is able to bring healing to a sick body. He is able to protect our children. He is able. So whatever it is today, I want you to ask him to meet you where you're at. Ask Jesus right now, the one who sits on the throne, to meet you where you're at. Tell him what you need from him. Hallelujah, Jesus. We need you, Lord. We need to feel your presence, oh God. Oh, Jesus, you are all that we need. We hide ourselves in you. Lord, you know every need in this place. You know every hurt, every pain. Lord, you are our light. We declare that you are our healing, that you are more than enough. We lift up our nations to you, oh God. Specifically right now, we turn our attention towards Paris and the evil that was brought out upon that land. I pray, oh God, that you would send your healing that you would rain down upon that land and send revival, oh God, and that through Paris, that revival will continue to spread to America, to all the other European nations, to every every country in the Middle East, oh God. Let it spread, Lord. We need your healing touch on our land. Use these times, God, these last days that we are in because we know your return is close. Use these times, oh God, to bring in a great harvest of souls. Let revival begin. Refresh us once again by your word. Stretch forth your hand, oh God, to save the lost. Oh God, we trust you in the midst of persecution. We trust you that in the midst of fear, you are there and you tell us to fear not. And God, we know that you are able to bring salvation. We know that you are able, oh God, to turn the hearts of ISIS to you. So we pray for healing. We ask, oh God, that the nations would bend their knees before you once again. And Lord, we will do our part in the last days as we wait for your return to be faithful, to be your faithful ones, to seek your face, oh God, to preach the gospel, to make disciples. Come on, if you want to be a part of that end time harvest, if you want to be a part of that end time laborers, lift up your hands. Come on, we're not done worshiping Jesus. We're pressing through. He is coming back. 
to be ready for him to come back. Everything that we're seeing in the news is because it's, it was declared and prophesied 2,000 years ago that it would be. And every single one of you in this room has got to get ready. I want us to sing that verse when it talks about walking in the promise. We're going to sing the verse and we're going to go into the chorus, but I want you to declare this, that you will walk in the promise of God. That you're going to walk in his victory in life and in his power. Come on, lift up your voices, lift up your hands. We're going to sing this out to our God today. I will walk in the promise. Walk in your victory. Thank you everyone for joining us at Metro Praise International. We welcome you here. At this time, I'm going to preach the gospel to you. The gospel means good news, and I want to tell you the good news about Jesus. My name is Nancy Wyrostek. I'm one of the apostolic elders here. And this message is for those of you guys who are not right with the Lord. You either used to live for him and you backslid, or you've never really heard about the message of Jesus and really having a relationship with him. I want to read to you from Acts chapter 4, verse 12. It says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by, by, by which we must be saved. 
Jesus is the only name that can save. Jesus was the only one who came as fully God and fully man, who took our place on a cross and shed his blood for all of mankind so that all could come to repentance, so that all could come to him to be saved. And if you know you're not right with God today, you don't have a relationship with him, today is your day to get right. The Bible says we're not promised tomorrow. Today is the day for salvation. And unless you are born again, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God, which means you cannot go to heaven after you die. There is a place where we go to after we die. We will leave this earth one day, and our soul and spirit will live forever. And we will either spend eternity in heaven or eternity in hell. And the determining factor of that is if you've been born again. The Spirit of God needs to come inside of you as you repent. Turn from your wicked ways. Turn to Jesus, and he will make your spirit alive. Our spirits need to be born again, reborn, because of sin that brought death to us. So with all eyes closed all across this room, you know if you're here today, you're not right with God. You're not following his commands. You haven't fully surrendered to God and, and doing it his way. When I begin to pray, I want you to talk to Jesus. I want you to let him know that you mean business with him and that you want to get it right today, 100%. God, I thank you for every single person in this room who gets to hear the good news. The good news, Jesus, that you came to take our place. You took our punishment, the punishment that was supposed to be given to us for our disobedience against you, God. You took it, Jesus. And we thank you for your blood that was shed so that we could be made right in God's sight. We thank you that we don't have to work for it. All we have to do is come. So I pray that every single person here will confess you as Lord, repent of their sin, turn from their way so that they could be saved. Because there is no other name given to us by which we must be saved. Salvation is found in you alone. So God, I pray that you would save souls today. And that they would respond, that your loving kindness draw them to repentance. In Jesus' name I pray and everybody said amen and amen. Please stand up to your feet with me today. If you prayed a prayer like that, if you talked to Jesus and you made it right, we're going to have prayer workers right here during the fellowship time in just a few moments. I want to encourage you to come to them for prayer and ask them how to get plugged into the church to get discipled. Brian and Carol, some of our elders, our deacons would love to pray with you. We're going to recite our confession of faith we do this every week. How many of you guys love doing this every single week? We just want to declare this. This is our Christian worldview. That's why we say it week after week. We want to let the world know. We want to let ourselves know, be reminded that this is what we stand upon. This is how we see our world. So if you're ready, let's do it on the count of three. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation and his death, burial, and resurrection and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. The second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Clap it up for Jesus. Get excited. Meet somebody that you don't know. Shake somebody's hand and give out some hugs. As distant hearts begin.
our second service. A Metro Praise International. Our services here are every Sunday at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. And then on Fridays, we have Elevate. 7 p.m. for ages 11 to 18 years old. I love the second service elevators. You guys rock. Love it. Welcome to our All Nations Dinner. Thank you for joining us. We are pumped to share all this wonderful food with you guys. Thank you for those that brought a dish. If you did that brought a dish, if you didn't, you're gonna eat some grub with us anyway. So we got a lot of good stuff out there. We're excited about that. We also want to let you guys know about our Thanksgiving outreach that we have coming up. November 26th at 9.30 a.m., which is Thanksgiving morning. We're going to all be meeting here at MPI and driving out to Ohio and Cicero area to join Universal MB Church for their annual Thanksgiving outreach to feed the community a wonderful Thanksgiving meal. So we want all hands on deck. Bring your family, friends, uh, anybody that you can find that would really like to do something that morning to, to reach out to the community and those in need. So we want to go deep, okay? Our vision here is very simple, loving God, loving people, two greatest commandments that Jesus gave to us, and our discipleship strategy is threefold. It's connect, mentor, send. Somebody say connect. If you turn your handouts around, you'll see our life group schedule. This is how we want you to connect to the church and connect to Jesus. It's through these life groups. We have leaders that have opened up their home to you. We really want to encourage you to find a life group that's going to meet your needs, the needs of your family, so that you guys could grow in relationships in the church and really find a place to plug into throughout the week. So here's a snapshot. Somebody say busy, busy, busy. We got a busy week this week. So kicking it off today, we have our marriage group. Come on today at 5 p.m. Child care is included. Where are our married folks at? Come on, make some noise, married people. They're meeting today, so if you're married, you got to be there. Tuesday, we have our resistance youth meeting at, meeting at 6 p.m., 11 to 18 years old. Any resistance peeps in here? Come on. Then Wednesday, the righteously redeemed elevate youth meeting, 11 to 18 years old, 6 p.m. here at the church. Wednesday, King's Kids, infant to 11 years old, 6.30 p.m. here at the church. That's every week for our children. If you have children at that age group, you've got to bring them here. That's where they get discipled. They get to earn badges in our boys club and girls club. It's an awesome time for them. Thursday every week, we have our gang outreach that happens 18 years and up, 7 p.m. meeting at that address. Every week on Fridays, we have two adult Bible studies for you guys, one at the Govea's house, the other one at the Walker's house. Child care is included, 18 years and up. Those are the two different locations. Please go there. If you are 18 years and up, you have got to be there. That's where you're going to uh, grow in your relationship with the church, build lasting friendships, really connect to Jesus throughout the week. Saturday, our ambassadors youth come on our meeting, 11 to 18 years old, 3 p.m. here at the church. And then every week on Saturdays, we have our evangelism all ages are welcome, 5 p.m. here at the church. I really want to encourage you to go out there, preach the gospel on the streets. God is doing awesome things in our city. And then after you get connected, we really want to mentor you. Somebody say mentor. We have leaders ready to take you through our 101 book, Welcome to Your New Life, to really help you grow in your walk with Jesus. When you graduate the 101, you'll get into our 201 class, Disciples That Make Disciples, where you continue on the discipleship journey will train you to be a leader in the church so you can get sent out to win more souls for the Lord. Because how many of you guys believe we are in the last days? We believe it. If you don't believe it, I pray you get to believe it because we are in the last minutes of the last hour of the last day. Jesus is coming back, and there's a lot of work to do. So we got to be ready to get sent out to win more souls for the Lord. And our goal here is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches in the city and 500 around the world. If you want to be a part of that, say amen. 
Come on, we want you guys to be a part of it. You're not here by accident. We've been here for 10 years, and every single one of you are here because of prayer, because of faithfulness. So we don't take for granted everybody that God brings into this building. We believe that God is partnering us together to win a city and to win the nations for him. So we want you guys to be a part of it. We're going to continue on with our lessons on, dis on tithing and offering. We are on section four of the Disciples Giving Book, lesson four today, overcoming discouragement. How many of you guys have ever been discouraged in life before? That's a hindrance that God wants us to overcome. A hindrance is something that prevents us from being obedient to God's commands. And every hindrance that prevents us from obeying God needs to be pushed to the side, and we need to overcome it. So we're going to be learning about overcoming discouragement. In Galatians 6, 9, this is what it says. You can follow along or turn in your Bibles. Galatians 6, 9, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Somebody say, I'm not giving up. We ain't got no quitters here, okay? How many of you guys know that? We're going to be faithful. Here are the main points. Number one, don't get weary in doing good. We should never get tired and discouraged in following God's commands because they are life-giving to our souls. However, you may get tempted to get discouraged and give up because you don't see changes in your finances. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you encouragement and energy to remain faithful. A lot of times people are new tithers and they're like, hey, I've been, I've been tithing for six weeks and I haven't won the lottery or I've been tithing for six months and, you know, this bill still hasn't been paid. Guess what? You may have to tithe for six years before you see an abundant uh, harvest that God's going to pour into your lap. We don't know, but the Bible says that there's a proper time if we don't give up. There's a proper time if we remain faithful. So you have to think of yourself long term that you're going to do it whether you see anything extra from the Lord or not because you know that he's with you. He's by your side. He's being faithful to you. We need to be faithful to him. Number two, at the proper time, God promised there is a proper time that we will be blessed because of our giving. But if we don't give generously all the time, we will miss that time of blessing. Therefore, be consistent in your giving all the time and get ready for harvest time. Somebody say, be consistent. Number three, those who don't give up reap a harvest. You may have a hundred excuses to be discouraged and not be a giver all the time. But one reason should encourage you to never give up, love for God. Out of your love for God, be encouraged to never give up being generous because God's blessings are coming your way. And through consistency, through faithfulness, you will see that. Here's a summary. Overcome discouragement by being encouraged by God's promise that you will reap a harvest. He is not a man that he should lie, the Bible says. If he says you're going to experience something, you will, but we have to be faithful. Here's the application. Number one, be faithful in giving your tithes, 10% of your total income and offerings, anything you give after your tithes. Number two, repent if you have allowed fatigue and discouragement to prevent you from being consistent in your giving to God. And number three, Ask God to encourage and strengthen you to never give up in doing good so you can reap a harvest at the proper time. Let's confess this over our lives if you want to see that come to happen in your life. On the count of three, one, two, three. By the power of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of the word of God, I will not be hindered by greed, laziness, unbelief, discouragement, or fatigue in my giving to God. I will overcome bitterness, impatience, pride, fear, idolatry, and live a life of obedience in my finances. Please let's all stand up together as we prepare to give the Lord our very best, our tithes and offerings.
Again, MPI believes that a tithe is a 10% of, um, of our total income, and an offering is anything above that that you determine that amount between you and the Lord that we designate towards missions and our building fund. And I want you guys to clap it up for yourselves because last Sunday in one day you guys raised $1,063 to cap off our building fund. Who's excited about our sign? Come on. One day Metro Praise International raised the last 1000 that we needed. God is so faithful. You guys are faithful to God. We did it, church. So in just a few weeks, hopefully by the end of December, we're really hoping for it to be complete. So be in prayer from now till then so that nothing sets us back. Um, but we're in the process. The thing's been purchased, and we're just so excited about that sign getting lit up in this neighborhood. And God's going to receive all the glory. Amen. We also want to let you guys know that our hoodies are in the back. Come on, Chicago for Jesus hoodies. There are my two daughters being our models for these things. We have t-shirts available. So if you guys want to get some Christmas gifts, these will make some good Christmas presents for you. So if you're interested, please see me after service. I would love to take care of that with you. We also have two other ways, um, two other convenient ways for you to give or purchase items in the church using your debit or credit card. One is online at our easy-to-use website, and the other one is with me. If you have any questions about that, please see me after service. I'll be glad to help. Let's recite this verse together. Luke 6, 38, Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your faithfulness to our lives. And God, we declare that we will overcome the hindrance of discouragement and be faithful and consistent with our giving to you. Because all that we have belongs to you, oh God. And so we'll be faithful with the tithe. We'll be faithful with the offering so that you could use it for your glory. That we will see your kingdom come to this earth, God, so that it, ex it could expand. Let the gospel message be preached to the ends of the earth. We thank you for meeting our needs according to your glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And everybody said amen and amen. Please come forward as you give, and we thank you so much for your generosity.
right, make some noise if you're happy to be in church. Come on. So good to have you guys here. We got All Nations Dinner going on. You know, the Bible says that the church should be a house of prayer for the nations. So in our first service, we had a lot of nations here. We have some different nations represented already. We've got just the privilege of eating the food that y'all brought. I brought some cannolis representing my Italian heritage. So I hope you guys enjoy that. Open up in your Bibles with me to the book of John chapter 15. I won't be too long. I'm only going to preach about two hours, so you guys will be all right. So we're going to have an early dinner. Is everybody good for an early dinner? We'll have dinner around 345, around 4 o'clock. Ain't nothing wrong with that. We got it on heat in the back. So let's enjoy our time right here getting God's word, getting fed of the spirit. We are in a sermon series called Abide. Everybody say Abide. Thank you. Now, this sermon series is based on the teachings of John 15. So open up your Bibles, John 15. The karaoke screen will be there to help you. I love it when you work and twerk your words. Somebody say, work it. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, twerk it. Some of you are like, no, I ain't saying that. You know, I'm pastor, I won't say that. No, but we are working and twerking the word. And let me just say this. I've been saying twerking way before Miley Cyrus, way before that, all that. I'm talking about being in knowledge, y'all. I'm talking about being down south. I put, I put a spin on that so long ago. I, I should get a copyright on that, okay? Because I saw all the kids wanting to twerk and work and all that. And I, and I said, you know what? We are going to work and twerk the word. And here I am, a 38-year-old man, after all these years, still saying, work it and twerk it, getting blank stares from people like yourself. But you know what? It's those little things in life that make my job as a pastor just a little bit easy, that I get to come up here and say stuff like work it and twerk it. it, it just where would you ever hear that in church? How, how many think you, would, you could go to another church and hear somebody say that? Probably not. Maybe if you know another cool pastor like that. But... Um, it's always my second service crowd. You guys got to be easy on me, right? And especially right now because I already ate a lot of food, and I'm like, go take a nap right now. So I, I got to get up and preach, okay? Can I get a what, what? Okay, here's a more spiritual way of saying it. Somebody say, work the word, and it will work for you. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, carry the word, and it will carry you. Amen. There you go. That's for more of my sanctified folks. We are in a sermon series on the passage of Jesus in John 15, talking about abiding. It's going to be all of November, all of December. And today we're going to talk about trusting the gardener. Can somebody say trusting the gardener? Amen. Thank you. As you look at this passage, see if you can find out who the gardener is. Starting in John chapter 15, verse 1, we have Jesus talking. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser, another word for gardener, Vine dresser, taking care of the vine. So who is the gardener? My father. He says, my father, God the father. So who is it? The father, God the father. Thank you. Now, every time you see the word abide, I want you guys to shout it out. So let me say abide. Thank you. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because the word which I have spoken to you, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Thank you. Come on. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Be loud and crazy. I can take it. Come on. Look at verse 5. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who. I thought there were like kids over here. Like out of my peripheral vision, I'm just hearing abide. 
And I'm like thinking there's like kids. Oh, is that the young guy there? Okay, so we got to help you. The older people are going to help us. Let's get all on time. Everybody go abide. Okay, I am. <laughs> now I feel like I embarrassed this little end. Lord, forgive me. You do what you got to do. Okay. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not. In me he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you may bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Now look at this last part here. We're hearing about abiding. We're in a vine. The Father's being glorified. Here's how Jesus ties it up. As the Father loved me, the gardener. Remember, that's who the, the gardener is. It's the Father. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. How many times was it said there? Does anybody keep count? Anybody remember? Ten, thank you, ten times in this passage we hear Jesus use the word abide. He starts off by talking about himself being the true vine, the father's the vine dresser, the gardener. He then starts, starts to describe what a branch does. It bears fruit. If it doesn't, it's taken away. He then tells us that we are those branches, that he's the vine and that we're here in God's garden. He then tells us to abide in him because if we don't abide in him or stay connected, the branch can't do anything. You see a stick on the ground, it's not growing leaves anymore. If you see an apple stick on the ground from an apple tree, it's not growing apples anymore. Same thing is with the vine. Abiding is so important. And then he begins to say that if you abide in me, you can ask what you wish. You can come to me and then I will answer your prayer because this is how the Father is glorified, by us bearing much fruit. So the Lord wants to bless you and prosper you. That's an amazing promise in this passage. And then he ends it by saying that as the Father loved me, I love you. So think about this. Did the Father love Jesus? Yes. Now Jesus loves us that same way. Can there be any kind of greater love? He then says, if you keep my commandments, you abide in my love. So abiding is not based on whether or not we're good. We're brought in simply by Christ's love and his goodness towards us. But once we have been born again, once we've been saved, we now are to do good works. So don't get it twisted and get it mixed up. You don't do good works to get saved. God is not saying, hey, you want to be saved? Let's get you clean in the kitchen, coming to church, reading your Bible, and then I'll check on you in an hour and you might be saved. That's not salvation. Salvation is coming to Christ as you are, as a sinner, in belief and faith that you can't save yourself, but he can save you. Once you have been saved, connected, abiding, placed into that vine, now you bear good fruit. And one of those fruits is keeping God's commandments. Does everybody see the difference? The fan, if there, there used to be a fan right here, we would have it in the summer. It cannot work and do the good work of a fan and blow cool air until it's plugged in. You cannot do the good works that God has in your life until you are connected, abiding in Christ. You all get that? Amen. Now, here's an illustration of what he's talking about here. For those of us that don't come from an agricultural culture, I like to visit farms. I don't know about you, but during the fall, I go out to these farms, pumpkin patches, apple orchards. Anybody do that Halloween season or during that time? And what you see is farmers farming. You know, that's what they do. They plant seed. They plow the ground. You know, they take care of it. Well, here in this uh, passage that Jesus is talking to us about, he's talking about a vineyard. He's talking about them growing grapes. 
primarily for their wine, okay? This is what they uh, would drink of that day. And when he's referring to a gardener, he's talking about somebody that you're seeing right here, somebody that would have shears or something sharp to cut away the bad vines or break off those bad branches to prune that fruit so it could grow to its optimal height or length or whatever you're trying to do there to give that fruit the best chance of producing more fruit and so that this vine can be healthy. You can see this big old vine down here at the bottom. You see these branches coming out, and you see the farmer going to work. Now, this is what I want you to think about in today's message. Do you trust the Father as the gardener in your life? Now, that's easier said than done because when we have a situation like we did in France, we, are cause, uh, we have a cause to question God. And if you feel that questioning God is a bad thing, you haven't read the book of Job, okay? So God is not turned off by our questions, but God wants our questions to lead us towards faith. When you think about Paris, somebody could say, where was the gardener? Here someone comes in, destroys a patch of the garden, ruins the fruit of people's lives. Where was the gardener? Why wasn't God able to stop this? A lot of times people come up with a formulation of an argument that says, if God loves us, then he would stop evil from hurting us. If evil hurts us, then that must mean that God either doesn't love us or he's not powerful enough to stop it. Have you ever heard something like that? If God cared about us, he wouldn't let this happen. That's an old argument. It's an old philosophical argument dealing with the problem of evil. And so we as Christians have to deal with this. God, where were you when these people were being slaughtered? Because, God, if I knew about people ready to kill other people and I didn't stop the bad people, in our government, God, I would be held liable for not stopping them. God, why are you not liable for not stopping them, them, these murderers? You knew that they were going to do this. All you had to do, Lord, was let one of their emails or communications get intercepted by the FBI or whatever they have in France, and then you could have stopped it. All you could have done is told everybody to go home from a concert an hour early, did something to distract them, and they wouldn't have been able to get shot up. So, God, why did you allow this to happen? And then if we're honest, not only do we look at France and tragedies like that and ask where is the gardener, but we do this in everyday life. Some of you may be facing those times right now. Just uh, over the last couple of years, we've had to bury some of the parents and loved ones of members in this church. Why, God? Why did they have to die? Why did Ricky's mother have to have cancer? One of our elders here, one of the saddest funerals, because she was such a good woman. She had so much longer to live. Why did she have to die? One of my best friends in Bible college, his first uh, you know, children that he had were twins, and one of them was born with half of their intestines missing. His name is Isaac, and for 11 years, Isaac has had to go through all of these surgeries, and his life is, is made much more harder because of this. And why did he have to go through that? Why did my sister die drinking and driving? She came from a Christian family. She was told the right and wrong. She was at a bar. Why didn't they stop her? God, why didn't you stop her from driving that day? Have you ever asked yourself those questions? If you haven't, then you're probably not really living. You might just have your life on autopilot because if you're really living, you're going to ask yourself those questions. And I don't mean that to insult those of you here, but I want to be honest with you. If you love God and you study your Bible for any amount of time, you're going to ask that question. Where's the gardener? 
Now the world has an answer to that. Now the world is full of secularism and atheism, and the idea is science explains away our gods. So we don't need God anymore. We have science. And what they'll say is something like, our ancestors needed to believe in God. They didn't know why it rained. So they had to make that out to be a god. God was in the clouds. If I do X, Y, and Z, then maybe those gods of rain will send down more rain for us. And if someone gets sick, maybe that's because the gods are mad. So I have to go see the local witch doctor or, or someone that's religious and ask them to do something. But they'll now say, because of science, we know where rain comes from. We know where sicknesses and diseases from. And they'll say, for our best guess, we know where humans come from. It came from a simple cell organism in the water of long time ago then into, you know, a, a fish-like creature, then into a mammal-like creature, then to a land-dwelling creature, to something like humans. Here we have a chart that shows it. We don't need God. And then what they'll say is, you're all alone. There is no God in the garden. There's no gardener. You're just here growing wild. And life really has no meaning. You're not being pruned for a purpose. You're no different than the blade of grass growing in the country field right now. You'll be gone tomorrow. No one will remember you. Life is only what you make it now. There is no higher purpose. And is it any surprise that in our country, when young people live like that, they go and commit the kind of murders they do? See, this one was done out of Islam, and that uh, from the basis of Islam, that's another discussion. But if you look at the Newtown shootings and you look at the other ones that we've dealt with, it's this idea of we're just animals anyway. There's no gardener here to stop me. I might as well do whatever I want. Now, since I brought up Islam, it might be good to tap on that because then there's other explanations to what's going on in the garden. So you have the Islamic interpretation that what's going on in the garden is that as Christians believe in a second coming of Jesus to make all things right, the Muslims believe they're going to make things right and then God will be pleased. So in their mind, we're not waiting for a Jesus to come and kill everybody. We do it now. Now, some of you may be a bit confused on this, and I have a book on Islam I wrote in the back, because some of your Islamic friends may say, well, I'm nothing like ISIS, and that's okay, and praise God that they're not. But take it from me, someone who has studied Islam, they are actually unlike Muhammad. Let me make this clear for you. When I turn the other cheek, I'm like Jesus. If I take revenge, I'm unlike Jesus. When a Muslim goes out and creates the war that they do, jihad, they are like Muhammad, not unlike him. When they rape, pillage, steal, and do all that the beheading of the ISIS, they are not unlike Muhammad, they are like Muhammad. So you have to understand, thank God today many Muslims are not like their founder, and there needs to be more Christians like their founder. Can I get an amen? Now, if you disagree with that, I ask you to study the book I wrote on Islam. But now we're left with all of these questions. It's almost confusing now, isn't it? Is there a gardener or is there not a gardener? Has science disproved God? What religion tells us who's in the garden? Does he look like Muhammad's God, Allah? Does he look like the father that Jesus described? Does he look like some other God, somewhere off in the distance, maybe in India, maybe like, uh, you know, what they have in the country I've been to three different times. They have so many gods. Maybe uh, it's like Krishna, or maybe God looks like one of their other gods. Well, you see, Jesus doesn't give us much of an option, does he? Jesus speaks to us quite plainly, and he says to us something that I think we overlook so easily in this passage, and that is that we are called to abide. And so what this means is, if you look at this at the very beginning, I'm a t- the true vine, my father's the vine dresser, and every branch that uh, you know bears fruit, 
uh, you know, is going to be pruned to bear more fruit, etc. And then if you look at this right here, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. In verse 5, you see, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. We see something here that I think gives us the solution. And I ask you to take it to heart and see what you find, because I believe I have found the answer to, to this question. And that is, we're disconnected from God, and he's calling us to abide back with him. And so now we have to go back to this story of the Garden of Eden to try to understand how did mankind get disconnected from God? Why is it now a command for me to abide in him? I thought if God loved us, we were already abiding in him. See, some people believe that, but that's not the story of Genesis, right? We go to the story of Genesis and we see God made mankind for a relationship. We see in that relationship, God is walking with them. He's talking to them. He actually picks a favorite time of the day, the Bible says. In the cool of the day, he would come with them. And yet in this garden where they're eating fruit, he gave them an opportunity to make a decision to not be in that garden. Because obviously, if you've been created by God kind of as his pet gerbil, there's really no way to run away from him if the world is what he created and he holds it in his hand. So God had to make a way in this garden for us to let him know we didn't want him. Don't want you here, God. We'll do it on our own. And so God didn't want robots. He didn't want mechanical objects. I love God. Good to see God. Good to hang out with you, God. No, God wanted persons in his image, free will beings. So now in this garden, in this place he creates, he makes an out. He says, here's the deal. You want to stay here, I with you. We walk together, cool the day. All of this is yours. The animals live at peace with you. Eat from this tree, the tree of life. As much as you come and eat there, you will be here. This is your way of telling me you want what I have. You don't want what I have. Here's your way out. You can eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I think so often we as Christians or people who come to church get this idea in our mind like this is some fictional story. No, this, I believe this is real. And I, Jesus believed it was real. And I believe you would owe it to yourself to take it as real for this, this passage today we're looking at. And so the story goes that Eve goes to, the, uh, you know, goes to the garden. She's doing her thing. Then she comes to this tree. She sees that it's good to eat. So God hasn't made it like poison. God has made it just like any other tree. She can eat it if she wants. It even looks good, she sa- uh, the Bible says that as she looks at it. And then now we see this character there, this serpent who we learn later is the devil. But he's there. And what comes out of his mouth we need to take note of because it's a lie. As we follow the story The Bible says that if they ate of it, they would die. But now this serpent says, no, 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 no. You won't die. You'll live. But here's how you'll live. You'll live as God. And you'll know what good and evil is. See, they knew they were created. They knew they hadn't made all of this. And they knew they were playing by the rules of that creator. But now this serpent gave them an option. You can be like him. You'll make your own rules. You'll decide how you want to do things, and you'll be the God here, and he'll leave. You see, that was the lie. Sound familiar? If it doesn't, I'll keep going in just a few moments, maybe make a connection for you. But I think some of you are getting this. So we know the story. Eve takes of it. She eats it. Then Adam eats of it. And at this moment, they recognize something has changed. They're now naked. What has died? 
The promise that God made was true, that the day they eat of it, that they shall surely die. Their spirit has died like a light bulb. I always use this as an example. You can see them up here. But it's hard to read the labels of those light bulbs. Why? Because it's translucent. The light shines through that piece of glass. The GE logo is hard to see. You shut off the light bulb or unscrew it. You hold it in your hands. It's easy to read that label. You see this dust that we were made out of wasn't what they saw when they looked at themselves. They saw the light, the glory of God. They never knew they were naked. It wasn't important. What was important was I look like God. God is a spirit, and I have a spirit. God shines brighter than the sun, and I shine brighter than the sun. I am like God. But the moment they eat of it, boom, their spirit dies. Now all they see is clay, skin. And so they hear God come as he always has come. But what do they do? Do they run to him as they did before? Now they run away from him and hide. God calls out to them, where are you? Of course, God knows where they are, but now God is speaking to them in their own mindset because they don't know where they are. He says, where are you? They say, we're over here, God. We're hiding from you, and we're naked and afraid. There's a TV show now called Naked and Afraid where they put naked people out in the woods to try to survive. That's called crazy, but that's true. This is how it started, though. Adam and Eve, naked and afraid. And now God speaks to them according to their mindset. And he said, who said you were naked? And the answer is obvious. I said I was naked. And I made myself afraid. You see, the mind that God had given them, the brain made out of the dust, was supposed to be controlled by the spirit in step with the thoughts of God. Now that the thoughts of God were out of their computer program, out of their fleshly brain, now their brain was left to wander, to decide for itself what was good and what was evil. And now what was once good, being in the presence of God, is now evil, something to be afraid of. And let me make the connection. Here we are 6,000 years later, born just with flesh and blood. And people are disconnected from God, following a broken hard drive they call their brain, deciding for themselves to be their own God, what is good and what is evil. And so why do terrorist attacks happen in the garden? It's because people are doing what they think is right in their own eyes. Why has sickness descended upon this earth? Is because now the body without the glory of, of God will die in decay. Whether it happens to a child, whether it happens to me through wearing glasses or the teenager with acne or you with bad breath, it doesn't matter. We are all decaying in one way. Bad breath, the decaying of the germs in your mouth and the food that you ate. Hello. The decay of life is around us. And yet Jesus offers us something different. Jesus now says to us in this passage, come abide in me. Come connect. Come plug in again. Get to the source of life. You look again at this picture, now you see something different, don't you? You see a father working in the midst of the evil of the world. And you see a father beginning to care for his creation. And so what is Jesus in the midst of this? Jesus is dying on the cross, and that symbol of death isn't just something that was way off in 2,000 years ago in the distance. No, that is still very real today. Jesus knows my pain today because he took my 
pain on the cross. Jesus knows what is going on in Paris right now because on the cross, time didn't matter. All sin, sorrow, and sickness was placed upon him. So there's never a time in any human history where somebody says, God, you don't understand. Because, no, God points back to the cross and says, it's there that I understand. Because on that cross, Jesus felt our pain. Jesus felt that disconnection. Jesus felt our sickness. Jesus felt our despair. And that's why he cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, in his native language of Aramaic. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why am I now disconnected? Because the Bible says he, talking about Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And so now as we look at this passage, we have a question to ask ourselves. Do we trust the gardener? That's my introduction. But before I get into the message, I want to ask you this. The message is coming. This, I'm serious. This is just the introduction. I want to ask you, do you trust him? Because that's why the world is the way it is. You may say, Pastor, I don't know if I believe it. Well, what's your answer then? What's, what's your better answer? Why is there evil? Why is there pain? I've, I've done my best to explain to you. This is the answer that I believe Jesus gave. Jesus was giving us the answer even in the midst of this because he knew we needed to be attached to him again. And that's why he says here that if we do not attach to him, look at it very clearly in verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, anyone, it doesn't matter who you are, what religion you are, what creed or culture you come from, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. They gather them up and throw them into the fire and they are burned. Period. End of discussion. If you don't abide in Jesus, you don't get eternal life. You abide in Jesus, you get eternal life. Now, let's go to the message. How many are ready? Can I hear an amen? Let's understand the Father's heart. How many are ready to do that? Let's go to Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. I can trust the gardener because I know that evil is not, uh, it's not an argument against God. It's actually something that draws me closer to God. As you're turning to there, I want to—I don't have a lot of time to explain this, but I do feel it would be good to put this in your heart. If evil wasn't evil, then you and I would have no understanding of its consequence. So someone may say to us, well, if Jesus was wanting me to learn what evil was, why didn't he just teach us, tell Adam and Eve what it was, instead of making it this big old problem and now all the pain that we, we, we suffer? Because think of it like this. If God reduced what evil was and watered it down, you would be convinced that God was a liar. Because evil would bring you pleasure. It would never bring you pain. Evil would satisfy you. Evil would bring you something the opposite of what God was telling you. But how many of you have seen the real results of evil? And have seen that this is not what I want. You see, the knowledge of good and evil, there must be that contrast. Otherwise, we would not be able to decipher one from the other. So what do I say to that little sassy atheist that says, explain to me how there can be a good God and evil? I say, I'll explain that first, as you can explain being an atheist and even have a definition of evil. Because if you're an atheist, you have no definition of evil. 
Therefore, evil doesn't exist. You don't have a problem with evil. The very problem that you have a problem with evil is the fact that you have a conscience and you know something is wrong. The very fact that we look at the world and say, I think this is wrong. When we look at child abuse, when we look at sickness, when we look at disease, when we go to the funeral and we cry, we understand something is wrong. I wasn't supposed to lose my mother that soon. I wasn't supposed to lose my father. People shouldn't die like this. Why is that? Because if there is no God, we're just molecules in motion, and evil is a figment of our imagination, and truly those like Hitler were the greatest among us because they got their way. Might is right, and the weak are meat. So the atheist who says, Christian, explain to me the problem of evil, I say, atheist, why do you have a problem with it? Because the first step in knowing that there's a God is knowing that you have a problem with the evil you see in the world. That will draw you closer to God to help you know why is it I feel such a great hurt in my heart, such a great conflict with the way the world is, and yet, and yet, I know there's a solution that I cannot find in myself. Humanity doesn't solve its own problem. It's like a broken computer. It doesn't fix itself. It has to have a fixer. It has to have a mechanic to fix the car. Now, some of you may say, well, one day we can make, we can make a computer to fix another computer, but that's the point. You made it. Can the first computer fix itself? Of course not. Can the first computer even create itself? So this is what we have to ask. When we look at a world that says there is no God because we believe in a big bang, we have to ask them what banged and who banged it. Because when was the last time you saw nothing bang by a nothing and it creates something? If I say here's nothing, now have nothing come along and bang the nothing and make something. Do you think that makes sense? Do you think if we gave scientists a million years to say here's nothing, bang, no have a nothing, bang nothing, do you think they could ever create anything that way? So what we have done is in our own heart we've rejected God and tried to use folly as an excuse. So because people don't like the God of the Bible, they reject it and try to turn to science as an excuse. But science isn't our excuse not to believe in God. Science, when it's done correctly, gives us the evidence of how God created things. If God is a creator, then that means he created things intelligently. You look at your body. You look at your brain. You look at the stars. You look at the universe from a telescope to a microscope. You see intelligent design. Oh, yes, I believe in a big bang, but I know who banged it. And so that's the gardener once again. Now let's look at the Father's heart. Look in verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If you have time, you can read the rest of the verses prior to verse 31. But basically Paul is saying in Romans 8 and onward from verse 1 all the way to 30, he is saying exactly the kind of things I'm saying. What do you say when you have problems in life? What do you say when the world doesn't go the way you thought it should go? What do you respond with? What then shall we say in response to this? This was his response. If God the Father is for us, who can be against us? See, we get this insight that God is for us, that he's actually not against us. And so when we're pointing our finger at God, blaming him for evil, the devil's actually laughing because he's like that kid in the line who slapped the person, two people up in front of him and then turns around and lets that person blame the person directly behind them. Oh, no, I didn't do it. That person did it. The devil's saying, I didn't, I didn't do this in Paris. God did it. Remember, he's the gardener. He neglected you guys. He forsook you guys. That's what the devil says, but he's a liar. Because the Bible doesn't say that God does evil. 
God has allowed man to do evil from his own choice. And that evil is to show us to how much we need God. We'll get to that in just a moment. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God the Father is for us, who can be against us? Now listen to the proof. How do we know this? Because anybody could say that, oh, well, God is for me. You know, I believe in this religion. God is for me. I believe in Buddha. No, but how does the Christian know God is for them? How does the Christian know that God is on their side? Look at verse 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? So what is the proof? Look at Jesus. Look at the life of Jesus. And what happens when you look at the life of Jesus? You see an actual man of history, not a mythological man, not a man tacked on with myth like Johnny Appleseed. No, you see an actual man that died under an actual leader of Rome, Pontius Pilate. This is in the history books. And yet this actual man who was crucified, we do not know where his body is. And yet we know where he was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, who himself was a Jewish religious leader. And who was the ones that had Jesus crucified by the Romans? Jewish religious leaders. And the Bible says it was a Jewish religious leader that buried him. We have no reason to doubt that record. We know his tomb. We know his death. And yet we don't know where his body is. We see the gospel writer say, I saw him. I saw him. 500 witnesses say they saw him. And then we know that people may, uh, may die for their cause they believe in, like these Muslim terrorists, they die for the cause they believe in. But who would die for a lie, something that you knew was a lie, that you knew was a charade, something you were putting on to deceive others. And yet in this story, Peter and the disciples are being killed, not because they hope to see Jesus one day, but because they say, I saw him. And they say, no, tell us you didn't see him. Tell us you didn't see him. And they say, we can't say that. We're going to kill you. We're going to stone you. We're going to burn you alive. And they're saying, I cannot deny him because I touched him. I saw him. I ate with him, they said. So can you trust that? Yes, you can. So how do I know God is for me? Because he did not spare his own son. He raised from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and there he is with the Father. How will he not along with him graciously give us all things? Now look at this in verse 33. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is it that condemns? No one. Get this in your heart. So who is it that can point a finger at you and go, where's your God? Why are bad things happening to you? Remember Job? Bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen to him. And all of his friends were saying, it's your fault, Job. It's your fault. That's why you lost everything. It's your fault. And here this scripture is saying, all bad things may happen to you, but no one is right to judge you and blame God for it. Because God does not condemn you. God does not bring charge against you. As the Bible says in the book of James, He is the Father of lights in whom there is no shadow. Every good and perfect gift comes from Him. Because if they assail your character, they're assailing His character. And no one has the right to do that. Now listen to this important part next. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Do I need Father Tom to pray for me? No. Do I need St. Joseph to pray for me? I love my Catholic friends and family members, but do we need any intercessors? Do I need the Mother Mary to intercede for me? No. Who is at the Father's side interceding for us? Jesus. 
And why is he interceding? Because we're here in a world where we're suffering the pain of evil. Even before this passage in Romans, it says the earth is groaning. Earthquakes are groanings of the earth. He said they'll increase in the end times. Murder and violence, nation against nation, end times, all of this. He says the world is shaking and crying out in verses before this, Paul says, and this is because they're waiting, the creation of this world itself, the palm trees, the very world itself is waiting for the redemption of the sons and daughters of God. The world is saying, when am I delivered from the evil that man has brought here? When do I get to rest? Its voice is heard through the earthquakes and natural disasters, but yet we hear that Jesus has a voice, and Jesus is interceding for us. Jesus is praying for you. Jesus is talking to the Father, and he is saying, let them not perish. Let them have time to repent. Let them come to know me. Let this world experience my presence before you judge them. Now you'll understand these verses on, onwards in verse 35. Now ask yourself, is Paul painting for you a pretty picture? Is he now saying to you as a Christian, now that you've confessed Christ, you won't have any problems, you'll never have any troubles, you'll never wonder why bad things happen to you because it's nothing but dancing in the rain. No, he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, as it is written for your sake, we face death all day long, we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. I wear this bracelet on my wrist to remind me of the Christians who are dying right now in the lands of Syria. It's a barbed wire um, piece of plastic rubber to remind me of the suffering of the church. We are led into death like sheep. That's how we feel. We face death all day long. Some of you here have your problems, I understand. But who here is wanting to kill you for your religion? And yet that is where Christianity was birthed out of in the Roman Empire. And that is where it still is today in places like Syria, Iran, Iraq, etc. and Afghanistan. You are seeing here Paul pleading with you today. And he's saying, don't you allow your mindset to become one of defeat because you see evil. Trust your father. Because your father is in control. Look at verse 37. Knowing all these things. What? What things? The things we suffer. The things we suffer. My wife was just telling me the other day that a pastor's house was broken into and the wife was murdered in front of her children. See, life is not fair. Jesus never promised it to be fair. He said, in this world you will suffer trouble and tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. He said, no, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor terrorists, nor anything else, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, nor height or depth. Anybody afraid of heights in here? Come on. Nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us now. Watch this, from the love of God the Father that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So how do I trust God through these things? I trust God by saying whatever I suffer, he will work for my good. Whatever pain in this world I suffer, God will work for my good. Don't believe me? Let's look to what the Bible says. 
Looking at verse 28, those verses prior, I was teasing you with them before, but now listen to them carefully. And we know that in all things, you see, if I would have started here, you would have thought all things meant you getting paid, you having a job, you going to the wedding. No, the all things Paul is talking about are the things that I have just talked about here. The death, the slaughtering, all of the pain of trials and tribulations, angels, demons. You see, Paul is building the argument from the front backwards. But a lot of times we start backwards and never return to the front. And now I want you to see it. See, we know, we know in all these things, God our Father works, works like a gardener in our lives for the good of those who love him, for those who are Abiding in him. All those things that scare us. All those things that hurt us. All those things we don't even know how to explain. But we say, God, I trust you because somehow, some way, you make the mess into a message. Somehow, you take the test and you bring it into a testimony. You work it for the good of those who love you, who have been called according to your purpose. And here's the part that will blow your mind. For God the Father foreknew and also predestined us to be conformed to the image of his Son. So... Hold on, God. You mean those crazy things happening in life are actually the things you foreknew and you signed off on and said, I'm okay with that? Yep. God said, I'm going to let it play out. You want to know why? I want you to see it. You ever felt persecution, rejection, personal illness, loved one's illness, someone losing, uh, losing someone you love? Sinned against, faced financial hardship, natural disaster, consequence for your own sin. You ever faced any of those things? Sin against, being abused, hurt. You know why God said, I'm going to let that play out? Is because he knew that if you saw the evil of those things, you would come running to him. That's what he did. He said, if you see the evil of abuse, you'll come running to me. You see the evil of sickness in a child, you'll come running to me. You see the evil of terrorism, you'll come running to me. You see the evil of natural disaster and hurricanes and floods, you will come running to me. And that lie that the devil told you, you will know it's not true. Without me, you cannot have joy in this life. Without me, you will not have peace. When you stand under the shadow of death at that funeral, you are to say, I fear no evil. Why? Because God is with me and his rod and his staff, they comfort me. You don't stand there in your own strength. You stand there in the shadow of your gardener. And you say, God, I trust you even in the midst of evil. In the midst of evil, I trust you. Because this is how you played it out. This is how you did it, God. And I'm going to trust you. Because you know what? What else are you going to feel? You get angry. You get confused. You start doubting. Sad, hopeless. But you see, my friends, these emotions don't change anything. 
The one who says, I shake my fist at God. Well, what have you done for your own problems that way? Nothing. The one who says, well, I'll just do me, make a lot of money. What have you done for yourself? You've only hid your problems. You see, I'd rather have my problems and go through them with God than have my problems without God. And if for me to accept God, I have to accept he's in charge and I'm not, I'll humble myself and say, you're God and I'm not. And that's where we begin to realize he's the potter and we're the clay. He's the gardener and we're that fruit. And so there are three things that I want you to remember in this. It's that, number one, the father planted the garden and you're his. You see the thing about the beginning when the atheist says, well, I think I can explain life. No, you can't. You can't explain life. You can't explain why we're here. And so the very fact that we are here now, we have to have an explanation. And what is that greatest explanation for why I'm here? It's God. Why is the universe here? It created itself? Come on, that's nonsense. It came out of nothing, even more nonsense. It came from God. So that now means this is God's garden. This is God's. And so everything that comes into this garden, whether I like it or not, is literally like water coming through my faucet, and before it gets into my cup, it has to pass through a filter. Everything in your life and my life is father-filtered. And why is it father-filtered? For my good. If I trust him. If I don't trust him, I can make him out to be the devil and the devil out to be God, but I'll be rudely awakened when I die, will I not? When I find out that that was the devil's lie. Think about that. You can call God the devil and devil God and change your side of allegiance, but you'll find out soon enough who created who. So we start from this place of, hold on, how did I get here? My parents might have got together and made my body, but how did my soul, how did I get born into this body? How did I find myself as a conscious human being made in the image of God? That is the Father's gift to you. So the first thing we can do is say, I'm in the Father's garden. And I'm his. I can surrender to his will and do what Jesus asked me to do and plug in. And no matter how scary it gets, no matter how up and down the, the world goes, no matter how crazy it gets, I'm going to abide. I'm going to abide not once, not just twice. I'm going to abide ten times in that passage. Why? Because every which way Jesus could have told me, he told me to abide. I need to abide to bear fruit. I need to abide to have a relationship with the Father. I need to abide to be able to pray. I need to abide to sense the love of God. I need to abide to even know those, those commandments to obey. And so what will I do in the midst of the tragedies, the problems of this world? I'll abide. Because all of these things right here can bring me to Christ. All of these things I look at on this list have filled these chairs up of this church. I look at the reasons why people come here. Well, Pastor, we were going to church. Life was good, but we thought we had it on our own. Lie of the devil. We're our own God now, right? We don't need to come to church on Sunday. And then all of a sudden, boom, ping, pow, marriage is falling apart, kids aren't doing good. But we're back now, Pastor. You see what happened to them? They began to face the consequences of sin. Or how about this? Pastor, my mom's dying. Well, where have you been? Well, I've been busy working. Oh, you're not too busy now, are you? No, mom's dying. I need to get right with God. Oh, Pastor, I need to come to church. Why? My husband cheated on me. I need to go to church now. Oh, Pastor, I need to go to church. Why? 
oh, I lost my job. Oh, you mean that job that you made almost like your idol, your Buddha that you bowed down to, that whenever they said come in, whenever they said jump, you jump. You mean that job that you traded Jesus for now fired you? Oh, it made you, made you think about God again, huh? Rejection? How many have been rejected? Let's be honest. How many, how many get closer to God during times of rejection? How many have had to realize, oh, you're... Yeah, that's right. You're not my savior, are you? Oh, yeah. You promised, you, you didn't promise to ever leave me or forsake me. Only one person did. You see, we look at these things, God is moving through it. Number two, what we can see is that the harvest is coming. As a matter of fact, when we look to the Bible, Peter is actually 2,000 years ago telling us a message today. And he says, guys, there's going to come a time towards the end of the world, towards the end of Jesus' judgment, where it is going to look so bad that people are going to think God has forgotten about this world. He says, but they ignorantly forget about the flood as well. He says, the only reason why fire hasn't come to judge as water did the flood in Noah's day, because it took 100 years for that judgment to come while one man built an ark with his family, is he says, it's one reason, because God is wishing that none would perish. He's wishing that all would come to repentance. So when you see a world that's so wicked and you're like, God, where are you? It's time to come back to the garden. And God says, no, I'm in the middle of this. And I'm using this wickedness to draw more people to me. But here's the truth. When that harvest comes... The broken branches off from the vine are burned. There is no greater punishment we could ever come up with for a Hitler than hell. You think, no, hell's not even worse, uh, good enough for Hitler. No, you don't know the description of hell in the Bible here. You may say, well, no, the person who abused me, they, don't des they deserve more than hell. You don't understand. Listen to me. The worst punishment someone could ever receive is hell. Your abuser will suffer in hell. The one who cheated on you will burn in hell. The one who's corrupted your business to cause that bank to go belly up and the politician that took your 401k, all of that, they will go to hell. You may say, Pastor, I don't like the way you're preaching. I don't like the way you're living. It doesn't matter. Amen. You get to do what you do and I get to do what I do. Amen. Now listen, the truth is there's a hell. And so when somebody says to me right back, they go, well, Pastor, that's real cool to say, God lets it all happen just so we get to know him. But what about all the evil and the pain and the nastiness of this world? I say, here it is. You want to know? Hell. Oh, no, I don't think hell's enough. You don't know hell then. Well, what about the one who raped my little girl? Hell. Hell is for them. What about the ones who did all of this? Hell. Lake of fire where God is never seen or heard from again, and all God's blessings are taken with him. Sanity is a blessing from God. Hell has no sanity. Joy and peace, blessing from God. Hell has torment. Never ends. Never ends. False prophets, corrupt leaders. Read the Bible, my friends. It says they weep and howl in hell. So what do I do now in the midst of evil? I trust my father. I say, God, I don't understand how a pastor's wife could get murdered in front of her daughter. I don't know, God, but I pray you save my enemy. I pray you save them lest they burn in hell. God, I don't know how people be so corrupt into following Muhammad, a warlord, and torture and kill and maim and blow themselves up. But, God, I pray for my enemies that they go not to hell. Did not the Bible say pray for your enemies? 
Did it not say pray for those who despitefully used you? Why? Why are we even to pray for these wicked people in our life? Pray for our abuser. God, the one who abused my sister, the one who abused my other sister. God, I pray for them. Why? Because we don't want them to go to hell. If anything, we want them to repent and see the evil that they did so that they can go to heaven just like us. Not make excuses for their evil, not compromise with their evil so they can go back into an abusive relationship. I'm talking about hate their evil and never do it again because that's what God does. Hallelujah, I've never done drugs again. Hello, I've never beat up somebody again. Do I got anybody else saved here? Are you just happy your pastor saved? I haven't cussed again. Amen. I haven't stolen again. Aren't you happy I'm not stealing anymore? Is, is there hope for the murderer? Do you, do you know why we go to jails? Do you know why we have prison chapels? Have you ever asked yourself, why is the Christian church so obsessed with the gospel? Do you see Muslim homeless shelters? Do you see Muslim food pantries? Why is the church and the Christians so obsessed with this? And I'm not talking about pimps and, and uh, you know, pimp pastors behind the pulpit, pimping pastors. I'm talking about why is it the real church is out there everywhere? Have you ever asked yourself, why is no other religion like that? It's because we believe there's a harvest coming, and if you're not right with God, you're going to get sent into the fire. That's why one of the first places I preached was in a jail. That's why we went to, That's why we go to drug rehabs. That's why we have homeless shelters. That's why you go all across this city. You know where to go and find help. It's the church. There are people there dedicating their lives to helping. Even just in this church, 10 life groups, single moms, married couples, young people, gang outreach. Why? There's a harvest coming. And we want the world to get plugged into Jesus. We want it so bad. Why do I go to the west side? Why do we pick up the kids there? Because we want the west side to be saved. Why am I going there Thanksgiving? Because I want it to be saved. Why have I been to India three times? Why did Mother Teresa do what she did? Because there's a judgment coming. And we want the world to know about Jesus. And then lastly, the Father, this creator that we worship, Hallowed be his name, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This father sees the big picture with love. Now, I know I've preached at you a little tough today, but I want you to hear this. This is where we can humble ourselves, not under a dictator, not under an abusive stepfather who doesn't love us. No offense to stepfathers, Lord forgive me, but an abusive father of any kind. This, this is not the father we see in the Bible. We see in the Bible the Father who gave us a choice. And when we made the wrong choice, he said, I'll send my son for that mistake. And then in the midst of a world full of pain, he says, I will work this out for your good. And how do I see this? I just found this scripture, and I've memorized it this week, and I would encourage you to do the same because I just think it says it so well when it comes to trusting the gardener. Look at what Paul said. He said, May the God of hope fill you, and just think of like a cup being filled, fill you with all joy and peace as you what? As you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That encouraged me so much today. That encouraged me this week. I've already preached this, and I'm telling you, it encourages me so much because I need hope. But how do I get it? How do I get it? 
I look at the news and it feels hopeless. I look at what's going on in Chicago. They killed a nine-year-old child. Do you get this? This is wicked. This is the world we live in. Where is the hope here? And yet our Father is standing, hallelujah, in the midst of this garden. And he is saying, trust in me. And I will put in that vine joy in the midst of your pain. Peace in the midst of your storm. See, I know as preachers, we want to tell you there's not going to be storms. That's such a lie. I want to tell you what Jesus said. He said, in the midst of it, in it, you feel joy. You say, how can I feel joy? It's not because of the thing on the outside. It's because of the person on the inside. There's a story about Richard Wombrandt being persecuted in Romania during the time of communism's takeover. And they arrested the Christians, leaders like me, because they were educated and they put them in jails and they wanted them to become part of the revolution. And so what they did is they put them in solitary confinement. You can read it online for free in the book, uh, Tortured for Christ. And they took Richard Warmbrandt and they put him in a solitary cell in, in, the, you know, in the winter in one of these crazy Siberian places. And they you know, blocked out the sun. And they put these speakers in his cell and just kept brainwashing him. There is no God. Your family has forsaken you. You know, just turn to the revolution. This is the only hope for you. And they were doing this night and day, starving him, giving him just a little bit of food. He's living in his own feces. And, and he said at this time, he forgot everything. He couldn't remember Bible verses anymore. He could re recall anything. But what he would do is he said he would just stand up and he would just walk around to warm his body, his naked body as much as he could. And he would just say, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible has told me so. He would say this simple thing to his heart to comfort him in the midst of what we would consider the worst pain imaginable. And he said that the love of God warmed his heart and melt the ice of Siberia. So why is it those we know who suffer the most teach us the most about abiding joy and peace? Because those things that we're afraid to face, they've already faced and they go, hey, the Father was still there. Why is it when they had those men bow down their knees at the river, uh, lake river and they were about ready to behead them, why were many of those Christians reciting the Father's prayer, be, the Lord's prayer? Because they said, they're saying to us, see, it says, so that you may have hope, that you can give it out. See, what they're saying to us is the, the sword doesn't take our Father out the garden. The Father's still here. You've lost loved ones. I haven't left all other than my sister. I haven't lost my parents. But you could talk to people here who are Christians who have gone through it God's way. They'll tell you, yes, it was painful, but there's hope. And what will they tell you when you lose a family member? They'll tell you the hope that they experienced. And so what I want us to do today is I want us to start being in our lives, in our problems, testimonies of hope. So I want to be able to start off this meeting today or in this meeting with this by saying I'm a testimony of hope that it doesn't matter how many drugs you do, how many crimes you commit, Jesus can change your life and turn it for your good. You see, and I wonder how many other people here would stand up in Christ and say the same thing. It doesn't matter how many times you're abused or what someone has done to you. I'm here to tell you that God can heal you. I wonder if someone else would stand up and say, it doesn't matter how many times you failed at business or lost your job. I'm here to say that God still provides. 
or someone to say, it doesn't matter. They stand up and say, it doesn't matter how many times your family rejects you, friends reject you. I'm here to tell you there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother, and he never leaves you nor forsakes you. And I wonder what would happen if we would have our friends from Iran or our friends from uh, Ethiopia or Sudan. I wonder if they would say, even if you lose your family and they burn your village, the Father never forsakes you. And I wonder if we could see heaven now and the cloud of witnesses, the Bible says, who have gone before us. I wonder what they would say. All the pains of this earth can't compare to the glory I now receive. All my present day suffering fail in comparison to the glory now revealed in me here. March on, right? Run your race. They would say to us, the glory to come is greater than the pain you're suffering. And so what I want to ask you to do here is let God fill you with hope. Not a pastor. Would you come, uh, Rachel, as we get ready to close? Not a pastor, not a preacher, but Jesus. Fill you with hope. Would you close your eyes with me, please? Just as an attitude of prayer. Just as an attitude of prayer, please. And just right now, if you're facing hopeless situations, you're facing things that have gotten to the core of your being, and you need to feel the joy and the peace that only God's hope could bring, right now with head bowed and eyes closed, would you be honest and say to the Lord, Jesus, that's me. I need you. Head bowed and eyes closed, just you and God. Because Jesus says you can trust the gardener. You can trust him. He wants you to abide in Jesus. Just right now, look at your heart. Would you please turn off the next thing you have to do, the pressure you've been facing on your job and just turn on your heart on the inside and say, does any of this make sense to me? Oh, oh soul, are you restless within me? Are you thirsty within me? Oh, soul of mine, are you hungering for more than what this world can satisfy? If that's you right now, would you just raise your hand to God? Not to me, my eyes are closed. But as the Bible says, lifting up holy hands to the Lord and just say, Lord, I trust you. Fill me with your hope. Fill me with your joy. Fill me with your peace. Come on right now, just lift up your hands and be honest with God. And say, fill me, Lord. Fill me with your hope. Fill me with your peace. Fill me with your joy. Come on, God's the only one. God's the only one. Just as you're praying right now, some people may ask me or have in times past may even ask me here, Pastor, why? I mean, you get so deep, Pastor, and you bring up all these questions. It's almost like you're convincing us of atheism or you make it look so tough and then you explain it at the end. Why do you mess with us like that? You know why? Is because I want to confront the deepest, darkest secrets. I wanted the biggest lies that are being told to be put out in front. And those are the lies that people are told. There's no God here. 
There's no God in the garden. There's no one to help you. If God can, you know, come on, you hear those voices. And God is saying, no, there's hope. I'm here. I'm here. And so if that's you, just a few more seconds, arm raised. Come on, say, God, I, I'm sorry for doubting. If, you, if you've had doubt, you know, questions are okay, but you get to doubt, you get into a dangerous place. So if, this, if you got to confess it, say, Lord, I'm sorry for doubting if you were here. I'm sorry. But, Lord, I want to know. I want to know more than I ever have before that you're here now. Now I'm going to begin to pray for you. My eyes are still closed. I, I haven't even paid attention to anybody's hands. Right? This is between you and God. I'm just going to start praying that you feel hope now. See, I'm bold enough to believe that if I talked about this gardener and I told you he's real and I told you there's hope and there's things working out for you, I believe you can feel it now. I believe on the inside of you where you feel stuff, where you feel love for your children, those of you who are parents, those of you who have felt pain when abuse came, I'm talking there where you feel it in life. I'm saying you're going to feel hope today. Can I just pray right now? Father, my Father. Would you fill your people with hope right now till it overflows? Right now, right now, joy, joy, peace down deep in their soul, peace beyond their own understanding, peace beyond what their hearts and mind can conceive, peace in the mystery, peace in the sovereignty, peace in the pain right now. I pray they feel peace and they don't even have an explanation for it. Joy that they can't even explain. Joy unspeakable, full of glory by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, right now, right now, Satan, I break your lies. I break your lies. We are not alone. There is a gardener in the vineyard today, and he is our father, and he is good all the time. We, we break your lies, and we love our father. You will not turn us, serpent of old, against our Father. Come on, if you love your Father, tell him right now, I love you, Father. The Bible says there's a spirit inside of you crying out right now, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit is telling you, you're adopted, you're a son, you're a daughter. You can call out to his name, Father, Father. I love you, I worship you, I honor you, I praise you. These few moments we had here today, God, are so precious. But I pray now we never forget them. Because many of us, our worst days are still ahead. And I know that's not what we want to hear. As Christians, we always believe the best is ahead. That's because we interpret it through what you'll do through our problems. But God, sometimes we forget that for some of us, like my wife and I, we're going to have to bury our mom and dad one day, should you tarry. And those will be probably the hardest days I've ever faced. And God, I know there's more funerals to go to, like the ones I've already been to. And for some of us, God, we don't even know what that day will be like. But we make a decision now, right here on this day, that whatever comes ahead, we will say it is well with our soul. And we will praise you just like we do now. 
and we will lift you up, and we will love you, and we will trust you. Because my mom served you for 20 years and got a call about her daughter dead in a drunken driving accident. She had to put it to test that day, and you did not fail her, and I know you won't fail us. Just every head bowed, 30 more seconds, I want you to think about this. My wife, she used to tell me when we would fly and it would be turbulation, she'd get a little nervous. And I would say, why are you, why are you nervous? Well, I don't like turbulation, you know, uh, turbulence. And then she said, uh, but I know I'm not going to die. And I said, well, how do you know that? She said, because there's a lot of babies on here and babies will never die. God won't let that happen. I'm telling you, my wife was a mature Christian thinking like that. And I had to burst her bubble. I said, honey, babies die all the time. And as she got ready to get scared, again on that plane, I looked at her and I said, but no babies will ever die that aren't comforted by the Father. And there's never a death that happens that wasn't in God's plan. And so we trust him. See, sometimes we try to Make God out to be something he's not. No, there's death in this world. There's pain and suffering. It will happen. But here's the thing we got to know about our God is that he's in control. Don't try to tame him to be your little pet cat. God is a roaring lion, the king. So the question is, will you trust him when things don't go your way? Will you trust him when you think in your heart it has failed? See, that's what trust is. I could keep you here all day, but I won't. But I'll end with the story of Joseph. He had a dream. Oh, God, it's such a great dream. I want to be a ruler. This is, it shows I'm going to be a ruler one day. So he tells his brothers, and instead of them saying, let's, let's make you a ruler, they throw him in a pit and tell his father he died. And then they sell him into slavery. And then in slavery, he gets lied on by a woman who says that Joseph is trying to have sex with her. Then they put him into prison. And then he helps a man in prison get out of prison, but the man never remembers him until much later to try to help him get out. You know what the Bible says? That's an evidence of all of our lives. And he, Joseph says to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. So if the worst days come ahead of us, how do we reconcile this as Christians? The worst days will bring out the best. The worst days will bring out the strength of our faith. The worst days will draw us closer to him, but we will still face them. Amen? We will still face them. Every head bowed 30 more seconds. I'm sorry for being late, but I want you to be honest with God as the band comes. Now altar workers come, please. Get real honest with God. Am I ready to face a worst day with God? You think people in Syria ever planned for this? You think Richard Rombrandt knew that Romania would start persecuting Christians? They had no idea. You have no idea what the next 20 years hold. America could become North Korea with a dictator. You have no idea. You have no idea. I have no idea. But I'll tell you what, I know God's in control, and I will trust him. I'll pray for healing. You know, God can heal. God can set free but I'm going to trust him no matter what. I'm not in this for a free house. I'm not in this for a multivitamin, look healthier, feel. I'm in this because Jesus died for me. And if I get those other things, that's awesome, and I'm believing for them. But some of my heroes died alone because they stood for Christ, but yet they're heroes of the faith. 
You know Paul? You know the guy who said all things work together for good? You know how he died? He was beheaded in Rome by Nero. You know how they killed Philip? They speared him and drug him through the streets of India. He was the mission, first missionary to go to Asia, uh, Southeast Asia. Stephen was stoned to death as a young man. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine me doing all that I do for my son, everything? I'm talking teaching him, keeping him safe, giving him Bible verses, loving on him. And then he says to me, Dad, I want to go be a missionary in Afghanistan. Like Dick Brogdon, one of the men we admire here in this church. And we, I send my son, a 22-year-old man, whatever. You know, I just send him. I've raised him. I protect him. I, I made sure I always knew his allergies, whatever. And then the first moment he gets out there to preach, they stone him, kill him, drag him through the streets and put it on YouTube. Could you imagine that? That's what they did to Stephen in the Bible. The church just started. The guy's preaching. They stone him in front of everybody. Could you imagine being his mom? See, that's what I'm talking about today. In all things, God works together for good. One of the martyrs said during the time of uh, the 60s, they were going out to Ecuador and Central America. You can see the stories at the end of the spear. He said, I'd rather have a full life than a long life. He says, people ask us, why would we give our life to the mission field? Why would we waste our life doing such a thing like this where we could die such early ages for such minimal uh, you know, prestige? And he said, the thing that the people don't understand who ask these questions is that everybody's expelling their life and spending their life on things. He said, I'm spending my life on the kingdom, and my reward will last forever. Though someone may last 80 years and have a million dollars, their reward only lasts for a moment of time. When we trust God, we show him that we trust in a kingdom to come that's greater than all of our problems and pains. Would you stand with me, please? Hold the person's hand next to you because you don't know what they're going through as we get ready to close out and pray for this food. You don't know what they're facing. Would you say a short prayer for them right now? Just, Lord, bless them if that's all you know to say or help them through their life. You know, just pray for your neighbor. Lord, we thank you for everybody that came today. In a few moments, God, we're going to enjoy the food that they brought from all these different nations. And we're going to have a great fellowship time, God. And you told us to do that in remembrance of you. And as we do this, Lord, we do it in honor of the victims of Paris and around the world. Because here, we show forth the kingdom. We're showing the peace among races, the peace among the different cultures. And we're showing the church is the hope of the world. And so as we dine here, we do it in a, a bit of a shadow to come of the marriage supper of the Lamb that we will have one day for uh, one time for seven years as your kingdom comes to be inaugurated upon this earth in Jerusalem. And so, Lord, I ask you to bless everyone here and for no one to leave out without feeling the love of the Father. And, Lord, if they need to feel that even more than when we just prayed on our own, I pray they come up and talk to one of our altar workers here. Because even if today their faith can't yet touch your heart, they can feel the love of a brother or sister here, and that can be a start. But then I pray they feel your love through it. And so, God, thank you for today. Bless the meal. Bless our fellowship. And may we trust in you more. In Jesus' name. Can everybody say amen? Would you bless the Lord today if you love him? God bless you. You are dismissed. We're going to sing the song to trust God. 
Amen. As we do, if you need prayer, would you come forward? If not, the line can just start out there in the foyer. Thank you for all those who brought your food. I can't wait to eat it. those who are enjoying fellowship, if you still need prayer, come on out or just worship with us. Jose, would you put up the words, please? Those who are up here just worshiping and praying, just surrender all. Let the Lord take anything that you would be holding in today. Let him give you his peace. Let him give you his joy. Let's sing that next verse all to Jesus. Jose, could you put it up? We had it for the first. To Jesus I surrender. 
next verse, put it up there for us. The next one, please. The next, oh yeah, right there. Yeah. To Jesus I Thank you. 